Hi, this is Pastor Frank at Frank's Bible Study. I just want to welcome you to this Bible study. Today, this Bible study is going to be a series. It's something that I haven't done in a while. I really want to finish this series because it is important. It is just a topic um, that's just come to my attention over and over and over. And it's something I think it needs to be explained. Now, this particular podcast is going to be about the law or the Torah. So this is an introduction. And what I'm coming from is because what I was raised in, and I'm coming from a Christian perspective. I'm coming from what I've learned throughout the years of my life, examples in my family, and what I've heard in church preaching over the pulpit for so many years, and in so many sermons and things that I've listened to, sermons that I've myself I've preached Uh, the biblical text that I've taught. And so I am trying somehow, some way to bring all that together and to try to teach exactly what this is about. So this has to be a series. It's got to be broken down, the words, the meaning, uh, all this has to make sense in order for me to teach it. Because if we're like shaky on our faith, I mean, I really truly believe with right theology, you can have right worship. And that is the truth, because without right theology, how can we really truly know who we're worshiping, know if we're worshiping correctly, and if we're doing it in spirit and in truth? This is vital to me. As a pastor, this is something that I need to do. I need to really have this in my heart. I can't just do the things that are within the formality of of church um, culture. I have to know exactly what I'm doing, because leading people into worshiping God in spirit and in truth and through the word of God in right worship is to know theology, is to know exactly what it means, the study of God. So this is what this podcast is going to be about now. So let's get going here. Now, as we read in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, it reads, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Now, this also is a controversial verse because people are trying to figure out what it means. Um, Theologians, Christians, pastors, teachers, a lot of people have been trying to figure out what this means. And there is so much that we need to know when it comes to the New Testament and all the vernacular, the words, the terminology, the meaning, the metaphors. The types of shadows, there's so many things, so much we need to study to know exactly what these scriptures are saying to us. Now, we need to continue to study. If you just are just wanting the answer, that's not studying. You're actually having somebody else do your study for you. This reminds me of a scripture in Psalms 119.11. It says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. This is what we need to do. We need to study so that the Word of God is in our heart. Have you ever heard somebody teach or preach the Word of God from reading something? That's, and I'm not talking about reading and quoting Scripture. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when they take a Scripture, read it, and then preach a message on something that is not necessarily thought about, just necessarily understood. Now, when you have it in your heart, that means that is something that God has given you in revelation through the Holy Spirit. It burns in your heart, 
and you want to be able to teach that because that is exactly what you believe in your faith. There's a difference when you know when the Holy Spirit is upon somebody and they're preaching the Word of God or they're teaching the Word of God and you can hear the wisdom, you can hear the knowledge, you can hear the fire. This is something that we need to get back to. I'm talking to pastors and teachers, evangelists, and the ones who are doing apostolic work, missionaries and such. This is something that is missing. We're going through the motions. Now, this is a part of the manifestation of right theology is being able to love the Word of God to be able to understand what it means. Now, when Jesus said this, I have to be able to address a few things here. Coming from a Christian perspective, what we're doing is we're basically expounding, teaching, and explaining Judaism in its raw form from the Scriptures and the Old Testament or the the Tanakh. And so this is important because I need to say that because we're Christians trying to understand Judaism. We understand the Christian form uh, of of the messi of the Messiah manifested. But do we understand the form of what we believe prior to Christ? Because it is more about Christ in the Old Testament than it is in the New. And you may not think that that is true, or you may not think that there's that much in the Old Testament about Jesus, but there is. And I'm making that bold statement. And the reason why I'm saying this is because this is what this is about. I teach Christocentric theology, which means that Jesus is from Genesis to Revelation in the unfolding mystery of who he is and what he's going to do, and what he's done. So in Jesus' own words, and I suggested you get a Bible that has the red letter edition, where Jesus is actually speaking, so that you don't get it mixed up from what the apostles are saying, or what someone else is saying, but knowing exactly what Jesus is actually saying or has said. In the first part of this scripture in Matthew 5, 17, it says, Do not think. This is important. I break these things down for a reason. Jesus knew. He knew this. Because he. Th- there's also uh, prophetic scriptures in the Old Testament about this. Jesus knew that there would be some that would misinterpret this. He knew that they're going to reject it. He knew that they were going to question it. He knew that they were going to be trying to find a way to trap him, entrap him legalistically in the law, in the law in words. But they couldn't do it. But see, but he, he was ready. He was already, he already had, he was privy to this knowledge. And so he beat him to the punch and says, do not think. And just like so many today, we jump to conclusions about what Jesus is saying here. We jump to conclusions about what the Word says and really kind of no different than the Sadducees and the Pharisees, but in more modern day. Do not think I came to destroy. Now, when you hear that word destroy, and this is another thing, using our vernacular terminology 
culture, slang, the way Western culture now writes, tells stories, terminology, stylistic in writing, the list goes on. So when we hear certain words now from a text that is nearly 2,000 years old, we read into the text what we understand today. You literally have to rewire your brain to think and to understand in the terms and the time that they were writing this. Because what you come out with is a different definition. Do not think I came to destroy. When you hear that word, you hear complete destruction. Like, you know, destroying something with munitions and absolutely blowing it to bits. When really what it means in this particular scripture, the Greek, and I'll see if I can pronounce this correctly, it's broken down as kat al u o katala uo so that's my rendition of greek for this for destroy the definition means to dissolve or to disunite so he says don't think that i came to destroy don't in other words don't think i came to dissolve or disunite or even to even want to use the words annul don't think i came to do this don't think that I came to destroy the law and the prophets. So Jesus is saying here, don't think that I came to dissolve or disunite the law and the prophets. So what is the law? So the law, you have to remember, is not, this is the end result in the English language, but the law is called the Torah. So the Jews call it. So the initial 10 laws that God had gave Moses on Mount Sinai, is called the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments. I'm sure you've seen the movie. But I want to emphasize this. The Torah is interpreted as instruction. Okay? The Torah, I'll say it again, is interpreted as instruction from Hebrew to English it's not necessarily law like we think law is and how we define what law is, what we think law is here in the now in 2022. This is unlike the Hammurabi Code of Laws. And in those laws that Hammurabi came up with, honestly, I don't know where he got these things from, but obviously he did. And, and, and I'll give you a little bit of history on this. There's actually 282 rules established. Now, a lot of them have the, the same wisdom as the, the Torah and the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is the first 10, and 603 laws through the narrative make 613. So, but in the law code of Hammurabi, is exactly what it is, a law code. Which means that it is a a lot like what we have today. 
which we call them penal codes. So there's there is these things when they're broken, there are laws and and levels of punishment or levels of degree in which they're dealt with, either by the courts or by a, a law enforcement officer. The Torah is far from a law code. Ironically, that Hammurabi's uh, code of laws really was brought up by him and then pretty much died with him because you don't really don't see it anyplace else. It doesn't come up later on down the road in pretty much any culture, but it's the only one of its kind. And, you know, uniquely you think that, oh, yeah, it's this is something that, that, you know, that is because these men are intelligent. When really it's common sense if you read it. If you read, if you get the, the translation of Hammurabi's law code into English and you read it and see what it says, they're common sense. And I want to be able to say that the Torah was written so that it could be easily understood. And I'll tell you exactly why. The reason why the Torah is easy to understand and the way why it comes off so primary and so elementary is because that the children of Israel were in bondage for 420 years. They were working every day and they were dying every day. And the Bible describes as their bondage being bitter. So where would they have time to study anything, read books in their spare time. There was no spare time. By the time Moses came as the deliverer to take them out of Egypt and before Sinai, they were basically uneducated. Their, their, their language is really all they had. The stories, is all, the oral history of all they had. They didn't have anything written down. And what they did have wrote down there was some there was so much dissent and you can feel and read that dissent when they approached Moses when Moses came to them and said that you know God has come to deliver you and they're like who are you who do you think you are you could tell where their faith was in God they did not come with open arms when Moses came they really had very little left and that the cries, the the Bible says the cries were to the point where God, you know, this is, it's time. I, I, I hear the cries of, of my people. Misery must again got to an all-time high. And as it came to that point, these people left Egypt with a lot of things, but they did not leave Egypt with education. So when you read these laws, specifically uh, in the very first Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, they're very simple. It's simple enough for a child to understand because that was their mentality. They were uneducated. So, But if you read further down throughout the history of the Torah, and when you get to like the later books like Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, or Numbers and Deuteronomy, and as you get through you know, Exodus Leviticus, it starts to pick up the, the, it seems like the vernacular, the terminology, the, the way that they speak, 
is more articulate? Is there starting to be able to understand? And it makes sense that you see that the commandments become more detailed. They start to deal with measurements and numbers and weights. You see, educated people, you know, coming out of Egypt, they didn't know those things. This is as a culture, as a baby steps to a nation being born. And then they've taken baby steps towards um, development. So an education is one of them. So this is why the Ten Commandments come off so primary. But then as the time, as time goes by, you see that they become more articulate and there's, you could see there's education behind it as, as you get towards the end of the Torah, basically at the end of Moses' life was when the Torah closed. So the instructions of God stopped when Moses died because Moses was the, the conduit and Aaron. So when Moses died, the books were closed and that was that was the end of the writings, the, the additions to it. All, all Everything that had to be said, everything was, was there. And then God was Moses' pallbearer. So like I said, the Torah is woven through the first five books of the Bible, Genesis to Deuteronomy, which is also called the Torah. So if you say uh, Genesis through Deuteronomy, they call it the Pentateuch. But the Jews call it the Torah. So when you hear the word Torah, it could be referred to Genesis through Deuteronomy, or it could be referred to as the 613 laws which that is called in Hebrew, the mitzvah. So these 613 laws are given through the narrative. And they're formally given as the 10 on Mount Sinai to Moses, but throughout the life of Moses, the Torah is given and we wind up with 613 laws. 603 of the laws are predicated off of the first 10. So the first 10 commandments, if you know them, and then the 11th one through 613 are all based on the first 10. And if you go to look and and you categorize the 613 laws or mitzvot, you could see that it has a lot to do with the first 10. They're they're categorized almost identically to the first 10. So if about lying or if it's about stealing or it's about coveting or anything like that, all of that is all there. You could see it. You could, you could, the way it's written, the way that God had commanded how to communicate to God and how to communicate to one another is basically what it's about. But because it came from God and how this nation was growing. God wanted this nation to grow as a nation of love, but also of righteousness. So this is unlike anything man has ever seen. The the Jews are basically the very first ones to have this kind of moral law and how it would govern a society, how it would govern who they are. And it would identify them specifically to God, the Creator, the God of gods, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. The law is unique in so many different ways. 
the law has influenced so many uh, things in society when it comes to judicial creating new laws. The influence that the Ten Commandments, or even in general, the 613 mitzvahs have the impact on society and what we think is right and wrong and, and how that even that argument and that debate goes on and on and on about how this all starts from what we're talking about right here and now. And this is exactly what Jesus is talking about. So the law has a lot of deep roots in, in what it is and how we can understand it and how we can know about it, how we can apply it, how it even applies because all these questions come out from, from this one particular scripture, which is why I chose it as an introduction. But you have to think of how unique this is in the time of where this was given. And as the Jews were leaving Egypt, their, their gods, it talks about how the gods, in Exodus chapter 12, 12, it says, On that same night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all their gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. So Israel is a very unique in a world, in the ancient world at that time, very unique as a mono, being a believers in a monotheistic God. So God gave Israel, his people, the Torah as instruction to keep the covenant with God. Which covenant? So, if you think about the covenants that are that were made, there is a covenant with Moses, a covenant with Abraham, and so it's about Abraham. So you already have covenants that are already like strat stratospheres or stratas that are actually built on top of each other. Promises, isn't that what a covenant is? A promise. So God made a covenant with Abraham. If you don't know that, you should read it in the book of Genesis, X chapter uh, 19, 3 through 8. The prophets here, when Jesus is talking about the prophets, he's talking about all the prophets. Now, there's a lot of false prophets in those times, but he's talking about the prophets of what the scriptures say that the prophets, who the prophets are and what they were saying. Now in Hebrew, the prophets in the Old Testament or Tanakh is called the Nevi'im. And these are the prophetic books of the Bible that include the book of Isaiah, the book of Ezekiel, and Daniel. This is just to name a few of the major ones, or some of them, because there's not many of the major ones. But there's more minor prophets in the books and those are in specifically you have these things you have to look up. If you don't know these, please look them up. We're trying to understand the Bible here. The prophetic books are God's words through chosen people to speak God's plans and purposes. So God chose Daniel, he chose Ezekiel, he chose Jeremiah, he chose you know, these prophets, he chose them for a reason because they're the ones who are going to actually do what he says to do, to speak the words he wants them to speak. So Jesus did not come to dissolve or disunify the law and the prophets. But I want you to take notice that Jesus coupled these two together. In another place in scripture, 
Jesus added the Psalms to make it a threefold testimony. So, in Jesus' own words, in Luke chapter 24, 44, he uses the Law of Moses, the Prophets, and the Psalms. So this is important. These are Jesus' words, like I said. This is not some obscure scripture that we don't know about in some book in the Old Testament. I'm telling you Jesus' words. Do not think that I came to destroy the law and the prophets, but to fulfill. Now, this is where the axiom, the pivot point, this is where it it all boils down to what we where we're divided in our beliefs so greek and i always go back to the original language of what this was written in greek the word is let's see if i can pronounce this correctly pleruo pleruo meaning to make full to complete to confirm the Law, the Prophets, and the Psalms. So in light of what we're talking about here, this is not fully understood. If you really think about it, the Law, the Prophets, and the Psalms put together, not separately, because if you separate them, they're, you're, you're, you're going to have a lot of questions. But if you put them together, it creates a narrative. So we don't fully understand that narrative. And I'll tell you exactly why we don't understand that narrative. And we don't understand the fullness of what this is all about is because we have not read him all. And I'm not talking it as a project. I'm talking about as to understand the faith that you actually believe in Jesus as the Messiah. This is where we get the term mystery. Check it out. In Romans chapter 16, verse 25, and 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7. The mystery resides in the Torah, the prophets, and the Psalms concerning Jesus Christ. You know why I say that? It's because Jesus said it himself. Luke chapter 24. Read it. Make sure you have the red letter edition. Again. So the logic looks like this. The law came first. But, you know, I just want to stop there for a second. The, you know, um, some people think that because the law was given uh, formally by God on Mount Sinai, okay? But if you think about God's instructions, you can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden when God had told Adam and Eve not to partake of the fruit on the tree. That was the very first mitzvah or command or, or instruction that God had given. And, and I'm talking pre-Torah, pre-Ten Commandments. Okay? Abraham also 
We can find this in Genesis chapter 26, verse 5. It says, Because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. This is pre-Torah. This is pre-Mitzvah. This is pre-Ten Commandments. This is way before. But yet these existed now maybe not to the articulation to the extent that we have in the 613 laws or even within the 10 commandments but i wanted to for you to know this because why is god making this such a big issue why is this such a big issue it's because it's a big issue it's because it's important so let me keep keep reading here The logic looks like this. The law came first. The law is God's righteousness. The law is God's instruction. The prophets support the law and the Psalms support the law and the prophets. The law was intended to lead to love. Jesus' righteousness is recognized by the law. Did you get that? How in the world would anybody recognize Jesus if his righteousness could not be confirmed without the law? You wouldn't know. You're just some nice guy. But the reason why Jesus was confirmed as being who he said he was as the Messiah, because he was able to fulfill every one of those laws and who what he did, what he said in his heart. That's how the Messiah is recognized, just in general. Without those, you wouldn't recognize who Jesus is. So Jesus, Jesus' righteousness is recognized by the law. Jesus completes and confirms the law. So the way I read this in when it comes to Jesus completes and confirms the law, it's like you have a cup that's two-thirds full. And then Jesus comes along and puts that last third of that cup in there, and now the cup is full. Jesus has not fulfilled uh, the revealed mystery of the law prophets and the psalms why is because he hasn't his second coming we're still waiting for so therefore i'm going to quote this for assuredly i say to you till heaven and earth pass away one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled and so on an ending note for this introduction Romans chapter 10, verse 4. This is the New King James Version. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. This is the complete Jewish Bible version. For the goal at which the Torah aims is the Messiah, who offers righteousness to everyone who trusts. And this is the NIV Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. 
Now, back to the New King James Version of Romans 10, uh, 10, Romans 10, 4. It says, for Christ is the end of the law. Okay, now that right there, that little word, end, again, we have the vernacular problem. We're actually using our 20th, 21st century terminology, understanding, and language to interpret language that was understood differently in the first century. So the word, the Greek word for end here in Romans 10.4 is telos. Telos means to fulfill or the goal or culmination like the CJB and the NIV say is exactly what it means. It means to, it doesn't mean to end it like that's it. It's over. It's done. And this is very, very important to understand. We need to read it like a first century Jew or a first century Gentile. They understood what this word means. Telos. Look it up. T-E-L-O-S. Greek. Telos. Okay, so this is, uh, I'm going to bring this to a close. And this is what the introduction will be. And I'm going to continue in this. And then we're going to go. And we're going to investigate, and I hope you take this journey with me, to see exactly what we are believing and what we are actually doing, and and, and the reasons why we do what we do, why I do what I do. Like I said in the beginning, having right theology will create right worship. This is Pastor Frank at Frank's Bible Study. God bless.